0: Take your Bibles to Psalm 51. I'm really following the leadership of our students. They've been in this text. God started doing something really phenomenal in the summertime with our our students. And uh, started stirring them, reviving them. And They've been a catalyst in so many ways. In a few weeks... In October, I think it's the 18th. Is it the 18th of October? Something like that. Our revival begins with uh, Brother Bozier coming in from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. He is by by gifting an evangelist, which means uh, like Junior Hill. You remember when Junior used to come? We'd bring a lot of lost people, and when we had our friends and neighbors who were lost. And we'd bring them to those services when an evangelist speaks. It was crazy. I mean, we saw 69 people in one service give their heart to Christ one time. It was a phenomenal harvest. Many times it was 25 and 30 on the Sunday morning. Brother Clark has that harvest gift. And he'll preach to us on revival. But the beautiful thing is we'll be able to see a lot of our loved ones and friends respond to the gospel. But before that happens, there are some preceding things that must happen. We must get right with God. As a church family, we've got to examine ourselves. So I want to take you to a familiar prayer, prayed by a man who knew something about sin, and walk you through what I'm going to preach this morning is this, three stages to a new day. Three stages to a new day of glory and blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for the beauty of the worship singing glory to your name. We remember when the glory did roll, when you saved us. We thank you for that. We've given you thanks, Lord, and, and we ask as we enter into your presence that you would be here with us. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would move in us and that we would make every decision necessary for you to be able to pour your spirit out in our revival meeting. Thank you for the preaching of our pastor. On the subject of the family and on the subject of the glory and everything else, Lord, that you've been using him in in preparing the way. Now, God, would you use your servant this morning and let me preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever been in a place in your life when you were away from God, you were out of the will of God, and maybe there was sin in your life—pretty dramatic sin. Maybe not as bad as the man I'm going to talk about this morning, but. You kind of were embarrassed. You didn't know if you'd be welcome in the church. That happened this morning, by the way. But all of a sudden, something happens and there comes a knock at your door. In the story of David, David had not just one sin, the sin with Bathsheba, which we remember so readily. But his heart began to get colder and colder that would put him in a position where he would fail morally. That day when all the other kings would go forth to battle and David would stay home, he stepped out on his porch, on his portico, the balcony, and he looked down. His place was above most of the others. And there was a woman. and She was bathing. And she was beautiful. And David's heart, filled with lust, called her to him. It was more like a forced situation. He was the king. He could have had any woman in the kingdom. This woman was another man's wife. Uriah, her husband, was in battle. And you know the story. David committed adultery with her. Same David that was the man after God's own heart. Same David that loved God in such a unique and intimate way. Sinned, failed. By the way, you do know that every one of us are subject to sin. Every kind of sin. There's not one above the other. All grieve the Spirit. But he sinned with her, and a child was conceived. And so David thought, the way I have hidden so well this sin of adultery, I'm going to try to hide even more. And he brings home Uriah from battle. Do you remember this? And he tries to get Uriah to go down to his house, but Uriah's got so much integrity, this would have made it look like that the baby was Uriah's child and not David's. But Uriah said, I'm not going to go back to my home and enjoy pleasure with my spouse. When my brothers are on the battlefield, that's not going to happen. He denied the request of the king, lay on the steps of the king's house. You remember this story? So David, in the corruption of his heart, decided, not only will I take another man's wife, try to cover it, but I'm going to send orders to put him at the front of the battle. Basically, bringing about the death of Uriah. Blood is on David's hands from the death of this man who David has sinned with his wife. This is the king, remember. This is the king who Jesus Christ, the lineage of Christ, is going to come through. He's going to be a son of David. So, this is King David. Can't imagine it, can you? But it's reality. And then that day comes. David's lost hope of ever being right with God again. Ever having a relationship sweet as he had before. And a knock comes at the door. David goes to the door. And you remember this moment. It's one of the the, um, accountable moments in the Bible in David's life. When Nathan the prophet, basically, you know who was at the door? God was at the door. And you know what this morning? Listen to me. God's at your door this morning. God's at my door. When the Bible's open and we're confronted about our condition, it's God at the door. It's not a preacher. A lot of people have got mad at us through the years. But don't get mad at us. We're just telling you what He said. Nathan, God's prophet, God's voice, says, David, let me tell you a story. And he tells him a story of a man who could have had any... He had lots of lambs. He could have had more, but he took the one... That was so precious to this family. David was enraged and he said, Well, I tell you what, this this man's going to restore and then he should pay with his life. I mean, it was a hard moment. And then Nathan turned to to King David and he said, It's you. It's you, David. One of those moments. By the way, anybody else besides me remember a a Nathan-David moment in your life? Look, I'm going to tell you something. I am a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. I'm a washed sinner. I'm redeemed, and on my way to heaven. That's not going to change. I'm born again, on my way to glory. However, I am still a sinner. I'm not proud of it. I, I, if I I can't continue in it without chastisement, but I'm still a sinner. And in those moments when I sin, God comes, and He makes me very aware. Could be through a sermon or a song. <clears throat> Or a testimony, or through a saint of God who loves me, confronting me. And that's what happens in, in uh, David's life. Well, after Nathan leaves, David writes this prayer. Look at your Bibles. It's pretty wise the way he begins it. I love this. He's softening God up a little bit, reminding him of his, of his, his essence. Look at verse 1, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He, he starts with, God, I know who you are. You're a God of all mercy. Your loving kindness is toward us. Lord, I want to I appeal to your mercy, and I want to appeal to your love. If there's going to be a, day of a, a new day in your life, in my life, it'll be because of the mercy and grace of God. There are three stages I see in the text that I want you to look at. And while you're looking, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if He brings something to your heart, go ahead and deal with it that moment. Stage 1 begins in verse 2. David says, Lord, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I want you to notice all the time he says, me and mine and I... David's not blaming anybody else. He's not not trying to to put the responsibility on anyone else. David takes full responsibility. I love that about him in this moment. He hid for so long, he doesn't want to hide anymore. And he says two things. I'm going to give you four. If you're writing notes, write this down. Number one, he said, Lord, wash me. That means purify me. Don't blot out my sin, Lord. Wash it. Wash me, purify me. Number two, he said, Lord, cleanse me. This is a more thorough cleansing and purifying. He said, Lord, wash me and wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, he said, Lord, I haven't done this against my family. I haven't done this just against Uriah and Bathsheba and my children. But against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Lord, I want to make sure you understand I'm not blaming anybody else for this. This is me. Be clear. Verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, I know I'm a sinner. My mama was a sinner. Before her, my family had sin. Behold, thou desirest truth. You see that word in the inward parts. Let's be honest with ourselves. You know why we saw such a gully washing Holy Ghost revival last year? You'd think it was because of John Avant. The answer is no to that. John preached the gospel very adequately, but it wasn't because of John. You think it's because of those other preachers? Shane and Garrett? Absolutely not. You think it's because of those young people, 35 of them that came from Michigan to lead us and work with our students? Was it because of anything strategically we did? I'll tell you why it happened. Because we got honest before God. At at least for a little time. (coughs) We got very honest before God. And David said, I know what you desire, Lord. You desire truth in the inward parts, and that's what I want you to have. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And then he said the third thing. Not only wash me and cleanse me. Verse 7, he said, purge me. Purge me with his... I, I did a little research on this. It has to do with the sprinkling of the atoning blood. You see, David looked forward to, when they were sacrificing those lambs and animals, David knew that there would be a lamb that would come as Jesus came to shed his blood for the sins of mankind, people just like you and me. And he said, Lord, don't just wash me and don't just cleanse me, but purge me with your atoning blood. He knew that was the only thing that would remove it. A little bit later in the text, if you'll notice verse 14, he said, deliver me from blood guiltiness. So wash me and cleanse me and purge me and deliver Deliver me. This is all a part of stage one. Stage one is repentance. We can't get to the next stage until we start with repentance. Repentance is today. It's right now. It's being honest about your heart. I I like what the psalmist said, Lord, um, who's going to enter into the presence of God? He that hath clean hands. And a pure heart. You know what he was saying? Check things on the outside. That's the hands. And check things on the inside. That's the heart. Lord, examine me. Search me and know me. Will you pray that right now this morning sitting in your seats or watching at home on the live feed? Will you say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that would hinder your work and your gospel that's holding back your blessings, would you show me what it is, God? Because I want to make it right. Stage one is repentance. You say, the sin with Bathsheba, preacher, that was bad. i tell you what. I don't know that I'll ever do or ever done anything like that. Let me tell you, his sin went far beyond the immorality and even the murder. Long before he would ever stay home from battle, inactive. Long before he would ever bring Bathsheba to his house and commit adultery. Long before that, he began to grow further and further away from God. The Bible doesn't give a laundry list of his sins. But I can promise you, David was in a mess. And you know where he was like most of us sometimes? We don't even have any concept. If anybody were to ask, we'd probably say, oh, we're in good shape. Compared to him, I'm in good shape. Compared to her, you know, the Bible says you're unwise if you compare yourself to anybody else. The truth is, if you compare yourself to Jesus, we are all sinners. God, reveal all that is in my heart, David is saying, and You know what, my mind went back. We just finished a sweet retreat with some of our people, and we cried out to God. It was wonderful. Saw some repentance there. But I I was remembering another retreat. How many of you guys remember going with us to Albemarle to that uh, Johnny Hunt men's conference? A few of us. We had a pretty good time. But boy, do you remember the night when he was preaching? And he used this verse, and he gave a a statement that I'll never forget as long as I live. It was in, you've heard me say it, some of you before, but I'm going to say it again. It's really important. He quoted this verse, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it, brings it to God, repents of it, shall have mercy. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. You know what? You know what I saw in this? I saw God wants us. He loves us. He knows about our sin. He wants us to bring it to the light. And yet we have so, we're so hesitant to admit it and acknowledge it and grow up and repent. Here's what Johnny Hunt said. Some of you remember this. If you cover your sin, you hide it, you cover it, you think you got it covered. He said, here's what God will do. He'll uncover it for all to see one day. I won't say how many have experienced that, but some of us have. You try to cover yours, God will uncover it. But He said this, if you'll uncover it and bring it to Him in the light, God will cover it. Do you see that? If you cover your sin, God will uncover it. If you uncover it and bring it to Him, He'll cover it. He'll wash it. He'll forgive you. Repentance is stage one. I say this often, but I hope you understand it's true. It's true. You are a mess. We are a mess. You're never going to be completely sanctified, free of sin, until the day when we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and we get our glorified body. That's when that's going to happen and not until then. You see, what we're asking God for in the harvest starts right here. Stage one, repentance. Will you say that with me? Stage one, repentance. Number two, stage two, I want you to look at verse eight. <clears throat> Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken, he said, Lord, I'm so broken, I feel like my even my bones are broken, that they may rejoice again. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and here's a key word, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Stage two is renewal. You see the word renew in verse 10? You know what that implies? When he says renew a right spirit, he's also talking about renewal of joy in verse 8, and gladness and blessing. You know what that means? Listen to me. Renewal means it was there at one time. In order for it to be renewed, then at one point it was there. In David's life, listen to me, David had a right spirit one day. Remember David when he could have killed Saul and he didn't do it, he didn't want to do it? Do you remember how David protected him and how he loved Jonathan? Do you remember David's life? At one time he had a right spirit, he had joy, he had gladness, he was walking with God And yet, now, because of his sin, after we repent, it's time for renewal. Did you know what a clean heart, verse 10, you know what a clean heart leads to? A right spirit. You ever been around anybody that's just got a sweet spirit? They just got a right spirit. I'm going to tell you, they draw people to their self. They're joyful. They're a blessing. They're not looking to hurt anybody or one-up anybody. They're just... They just got a good spirit, and everybody likes to be around By the way, you ever been around anybody that had something other than a right spirit? They got a, a uh, vindictive spirit, or a suspicious spirit, or a hard-closed spirit. You see, David said, Lord, I need you to renew some things. Now that I've repented of my sin, I want you to bring back, renew a right spirit. By the way, you know a right spirit, listen to me, will draw people to you. You got the right spirit, it'll draw people. You ever wonder why some people are repelled? You you seemingly repel people. It could have everything to do with this little issue right here. You get right with God, your spirit will change. Get quiet. Maybe I'll hang out there a while. Pardon from God brings renewal. David's repented. Pardon from God brings the joy back, brings the gladness back, brings the rejoicing back. Hey, Brings the unity back in the family. Brings the intimacy back in the marriage. A right spirit changes everything. Renewal. What sin has destroyed, you can see renewed. You know, some people choose to live in a situation so different than what God had planned. David said something after he said that in verse 12. He said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Nope, verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. David said, one thing's most important to me, God, I still want to be near you. I want to talk to you. I want to know you're near me. And then he said this that kind of shakes some people up. And some folks interpret it different. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. What? Well, Pastor, is it possible once you receive The the Lord as your Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Is it possible for the Holy Spirit to leave you? Is it possible? It appears that's what he's saying, but that's not what he's saying. Is it possible for a man to be lost again after he's saved? No, the body of Scripture is clear. That once you're sealed in Christ, you are His until the day of redemption. And then it's all over with anyway. You are His and His forever. You cannot be lost after you've truly been born again. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now watch. He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. What in the world does He mean then? I did a little research on this and here's here's what He means. I really believe. Lord, with Holy Spirit, withdraw not your comforts. Withdraw not your counsel. Withdraw not your quickenings, your voice, your nearness, your presence... Oh, take not what the Holy Spirit has been doing for me, David, says all these years. Don't let that be gone, Lord. I I need that. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. Stage two is renewal. Stage one is what? Repentance. Stage two is renewal, finally. Stage three in this text, in David's prayer and in your life, is restoration. Restoration. Look at the first word in verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, that's an interesting term. I don't know if you noticed it. Look at your Bibles. A right spirit in verse 10, and then take not away thy holy spirit in verse 11. And in verse 12, uphold me with thy free spirit. And then I looked down a little further in verse 17 and saw the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Well, now, what? That's kind of confusing. Well, let's talk about it. Number one, that right spirit in verse 10 is talking about a person's spirit. It doesn't say anything about it being God's spirit, thy spirit. That's the right spirit in you. But then he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That's talking about the Holy Spirit and his blessings that come along with him. But then notice this phrase, and I really love this one. I think it's important for our church to know it. He said, verse 12, Hold me with thy free spirit. And let me describe a free spirit. It's what we felt blowing this morning when the choir was singing that song about being thankful. It's what I'm feeling right now while I'm preaching. Things aren't bound up. There's not uh, disunity and disconnection. There's not the grieving of God. You ever walked in a place and there's like a wall there? The Spirit is not free to work. By the way, notice what he calls it. He said, uphold me with thy free spirit. This is not talking about a man's spirit here. This is talking about God's spirit. At work among His people, uphold me with thy free spirit. Hey, I want the Spirit to be free in the services. Don't you? Amen or not? I want the Spirit to flow while the choir is singing, Brother Darren, and it did this morning. And so many times, I want the Spirit to flow through the songs. We're not performing. Jacob was singing about serving Jesus. I want to feel the Holy Ghost at work and a free spirit. I'm not going to church where there's not a free spirit. Now, we might have a week or two around here. But we get to the bottom of that. We get on our face before God and find out, Lord, what's grieving you? Because we don't want you grieved or vexed. We want there to be a free spirit in the church. But you know what more than not people have said in our breakfast with the pastors and other times when we gather, when we say, hey, what brought you to Central? You know what they don't say? The preaching, the preacher. They appreciate that, but that's not the key thing. Or the singing, boy, we like that singing. Or we saw a billboard out by the highway. You know what they say? When we came to that church for whatever reason, and there's a myriad of reasons that brings them in, we felt something. We felt the Spirit of God. Now look here, Hyperspiritual people say, well, you shouldn't have to feel anything by faith. Look here, you go to them churches if you want to. I want to be where God is, and I want to be where His people can sense a free spirit in the church where God is at work in that congregation. I want to be where the Spirit's free and people can get saved and get right and not walk out feeling good about their sin, and feeling good if they're not right with God. Uphold me, he said, with thy free spirit. Now let me give you the, the restoration. I saw it right here in verse 13. He said, then. I love that little word, then. When I first married Terry, being from up north, she, she called it then, then. I said, how do you spell that? T-H-A-N. I said, then, T-H-E-N. She said, no, you're saying T-H-I-N, Then. I say, then. I said, no, you're saying T-H-A-N. We argued about that for a while. Then she got right with God, got the (laughs) right spirit, and she began to see it as I. No, the truth is, look at your Bible. It's a transition word to what happens when we repent and we're renewed. Number three, restoration happens. Look at verse 13. Then, what's going to happen then? Then will I teach... You can't teach. Teacher, if you if you're not right with God and you don't have the right spirit, you're not going to help anybody. You're not going to be able to share Jesus with anybody at your job, in your neighborhood, then will I teach? Then will I preach? When? When I'm restored after I've repented and been renewed. You know why churches are drying up and dying? It's because they haven't repented and they haven't been renewed, and therefore they get up on Sundays, and they try to share a little sermonette, and God's not there, and the free spirit's not there, and people are not there after a while. He said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners, this is a very important part, and sinners shall, that's a strong word of, of assurance, sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, when we get right, when we've repented and been renewed, then the restoration of souls being saved and baptism's coming. That's what's going to happen. Then will I teach. Number two, come down a little bit further. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. I can only imagine he was feeling the weight of Uriah's death. And he could almost see the blood on his hands from sending that innocent man to the front of the battle. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation. And then, Lord, watch this. My tongue shall what? Sing. I like the singing in our church, but it's nothing compared to what happens if restoration happens. We will sing. Notice what he said. Somebody told me one time when they came to visit our church, they said, your church sings loud. Your choir is loud. And I don't think they meant it in a very kind way. I wish this here right now. I'd take them to that verse. Look at what he says. Thy, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. I want everybody to know, God, that you have forgiven me and you are righteous and you have made me righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, then I'll teach, then I'll sing, and he don't stop there. Look at verse 15. Oh Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy, what? Praise. Praise. You know what's It's blessing me this morning, Darren. You can't see it. You need a, re- you need a rear view mirror on that keyboard. Pastor Cameron, did you see it this morning? The songs were being sung and the joy was filling the room and one by one you start seeing the saints' hands lifted. Now, that's not for everybody, but for some of us. The Bible talks about it. You see a tear escaping the corner of an eye. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise from the heart, expressing our gratitude for who He is. You talk about praise. We're going to praise Him one day when we've been restored. Let me close. We're going to look at one closing verse. He said, Lord, thou desirest not sacrifice, verse 16, else I would give it. Sounds like he's from Sampson County, that phrase right there. Else I'd give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. You know what he's saying? Lord, do you want me to burn some animals? Want me to sacrifice some animals? That's what they did back then. You know what Tim Jackson said to me going out the door? He said, Good thing we don't have that same mode of worship now. We'd all, be, we'd all have to have lamb farms because we'd be burning them every day. Sacrifices. He said, God, that's not what you're asking for. If you were, I could give it to you. David could come up with thousands of animals to, to sacrifice. But he said, no, that's not what you want. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a, say it with me, broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God. That will not despise. When I read that, Pastor, would y'all turn with me to the closing verse, Isaiah 57. When I read that, my mind went to the verse that the Holy Ghost gave you for us, for this revival. The sacrifices of God. I wonder if we're going to sacrifice to God or not. Broken spirit, contrite heart. Look at Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen in closing. We'll give you a minute to get there. Isaiah 57, verse 15. This is what we're claiming. Would you join us in claiming this verse? I fasted and prayed in preparation for our revival, Son, and I ask you to do the same. Verse 15, For thus saith the High and Holy One, that's God speaking, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell, God said, in the high and holy place, with him, with her, with them. Also, that is of a contrite, just like in our text, and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You know what God is saying to us in our, in our claiming verse? If you'll humble yourself before me, If you'll repent of your sin, I'll revive you. And then I'll save a bunch of your friends and your neighbors. And they'll get to go to heaven with you. But first, will you do it? Stage one, repent. Stage two, renew. That comes after repentance. Stage three, Restoration. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. While our heads are bowed in the quietness of this moment, I'm asking you an important question. Will you ask the Lord right now, God? Is there something you'll put your hand on right now? Is there something you'll whisper to me right now that's not right in my life? You won't have to ask Him twice. If you're honest, I'm not going to start naming things because... I can get real wrong doing that in a minute. The Holy Spirit can do it better than me. Lord, where have I sinned? Where have I neglected you? Where have I had an idol that's become more important than you? In a moment, will you ask God to forgive you? Will you repent and turn from it? Sometimes I ask Terry, you know, I can't see sometimes my own heart like you can. Maybe ask people close to you. Lord, would you, would you show me through them? Would you show me through your word as it's preached? Pastor Cameron stands up to preach God's word. Would you show me when I come to prayer? For the next few weeks, can we seek the Lord's face and ask him to show us our sin? Is it important enough to you? that God be glorified and that your friends come to Christ for you to ask Him, Lord, show me. Now, if this morning God has spoken to your heart about a sin, I'm going to invite you in a moment when Darren begins to play to walk down this aisle. You say, right in front of everybody, yep. I'm so proud of people that are willing to make God first and everybody else next. I'm repent at my seat. Yeah, you can. It's another thing altogether to come forward. You say, why would you come forward? Well, to enlist the encouragement and prayer support and love of your fellowship and to humble yourself and be contrite Lord you've spoken to me already about some areas I have to address would you do your work in the hearts of your people this morning please Lord we want to have revival we want our friends and our loved ones our community to be saved you're asking us first to repent before the renewal, before the restoration and the sinners coming to you. So may we do what you call us to do. Lord, please continue to draw us near to you as we seek your face. In Jesus' name.